Coming out of Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 21. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. This is the Word of God for the people of God. You may be seated as I change this microphone out again. This one may need to be turned up a little if it can be. It's uh, not as voluminous as you might say. Can you hear me okay? How about now? Is that a little better? Yeah. Okay. It's, um, I'll have to tape that one or something to make it work right. It sounds better. Uh, more people can hear it. We are in Philippians with the Apostle Paul, what he says. And before I get to what he's talking about, I want to share something with you that I call the cycle. We're going to talk about this cycle today and what it does in our walk with God and what we can do about it. I call it the love-pain-fear cycle which eventually becomes the unlove, pain, fear cycle. And now the cycle comes from a belief that we are not loved. How does it look? Or what does a cycle look like? I can explain it to you like this. When we love somebody and we get hurt, we feel pain, we're afraid to love. Because we think more pain will come. And so when the next opportunity to come to love happens, we're a little skittish. We try and get hurt again, more pain, more fear. The next time that we feel an opportunity or or want to love, we're we're a little more shy yet about it. We're not going to take the opportunity as willingly to love because we now associate love with pain and also fear. Scripture tells us that perfect love casts out fear. However, How that works is quite remarkable. When God created us, He created us fearfully and wonderfully, and He gave us a wonderful thing called a brain. Now, I don't mean use your brain. I mean, I want to tell you how your brain works. Inside your brain are different parts, and one of them is called the amygdala. The amygdala is, is shall we say, the powerhouse of the brain, the survival skills, the fear resides there. It's the thing that drives behavior. And in, in addiction or when we're emotionally distraught, it, it, it bypasses what's called the frontal cortex, which is our reasoning and thinking and logic. It just acts in protective mode sometimes. So when someone is out running uh, drugs or doing things like that, 
they people say, don't you know anybody? They go, I didn't think about it because it doesn't go through the frontal cortex. It goes from the uh, thought down the what they call a neural pathway directly to the amygdala to act out. It doesn't use the place that says this makes sense or doesn't make sense in your brain. That part in the front of your brain is reserved for special things like love, like uh, morality and things like that. The prefrontal cortex has a lot of different things. But when you love, it's here. When you love, it shuts down the amygdala. Fear, when you're afraid or hurting, the amygdala gets bigger. And so you're more aware of your fear or anxiety and it, 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 it kind of overwhelms you. And that can happen. But love, when it has begun to do its full effect and run through your frontal cortex, that amygdala shrinks. So truly, perfect love through the frontal cortex casts out fear. It stops it. But we are so used to in our society seeing that if I love and I get hurt, that must mean I'm not loved back. Or that love is painful. And therefore, I'm more afraid of love than I am of not loving. Now hear that distinction. Many more people are afraid to love than to not love. <coughs> Scripture says that we love. It says if we don't love, then we don't belong to the Father. So I'd be more afraid of not loving than loving. But we're stuck in the love-fear-pain cycle and... We don't know how to get out of it once it starts. As I said, it comes from the belief that we are not loved. In our text today, Paul is feeling pain. Now, he's not saying, this really hurts me, I'm struggling. Instead, what we hear is that he's sending Timothy to the Philippians at that church in Philippi. And he sends him so that Paul may be encouraged when he hears how well the Philippians are doing. He loves this church. He prays for this church and thanks God for this church. It's one of the few churches where he's excited about what's going on. He doesn't have to fix anything there. And so, he wants to send Timothy there so he can be encouraged, as verse 19 says, when he hears how they're doing. Because he knows that Timothy will come back and give good word. And he says, I have nobody else like Timothy, who is here with me, who will care for your state or who is concerned about your well-being. Hear me. Paul is in a position where he's been establishing these churches, but there's only one person that he can send who actually cares about them. He's got nobody else. As a person who is establishing the church of Jesus Christ, that can be a very scary proposition to only have one to send. Jesus liked to send two at a time. He only had one to send. And then He says the phrase in verse 21. Don't like this phrase, but it's true. He says, For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. Now hear that, and, and, and I want you to go back with me in time to when Paul was doing this. 
there were no churches. None. He didn't go, hey, where are you going to church today? There was no church. He had to start with nothing to create something. We talk about how people do a lot of different church starts and church plants in different places and how to do that. Paul didn't have an instruction manual. All he had were people who were used to the customs of their time and doing things that way. He had to start him with zero. They didn't even know who Jesus was. Never heard of him for the most part. And he had to build the church from scratch. And so he's worked all this time and all this energy and he's only got one person who cares for the churches like he does. All that effort and everybody else that he's worked with is worried about themselves rather than others. They're all inward focused. They're all concerned about big number one rather than big number one. Do you think when Paul said everybody's concerned about themselves and not about the churches I'm trying to establish, that it was a very lonely place. Sure it was. Had to be. Because he was the only one besides Timothy that cared. You ever been to a place where it seemed like you were the only one who cared about something? It's a lonely place, isn't it? And when Timothy leaves to go to Philippi, hear this, what he doesn't say. Nobody will be looking after me and my estate. He will have nobody. He will be alone until he can raise someone else up by the power of God. And you thought the Apostle Paul had all these gifts and talents and he had this all figured out. And here he is doing it by himself. Once Timothy leaves. But, but, but he's the leader. He's the founder of the church. He wrote most of the New Testament. Shouldn't he have had all this figured out and therefore it should work? Paul's loving the church that he's trying to build because he loves Jesus so much and he loves the fact that Christ loves him and gave himself for him. And he just wants everybody to know Christ and him crucified. And he's laboring and backbreaking work. And doing this because he loves Jesus Christ. And nobody's joining him in that passion. How do you think he feels? Do you think he blames himself, maybe, because things aren't growing fast enough? Or do you think maybe I've loved on these people and they don't love me back? What have I done wrong? Do you think he has a church hurt? I think he does. But he's not going to say these churches have hurt me. He's going to say that they have not seen to it to bless the one who blessed them. (laughs) That they haven't filled up the good works yet. And there's no way he can go, y'all ought to be doing this, and because you're not, I'm suffering. 
Because they don't understand that. Because there's never been a situation like this before in the world where a church was supposed to help their missionary. You see, pain is unique to each person. Although the experience can be familiar to others. You're not the only one who hurts when you hurt. And you're not the only one who's been hurt like that. But the enemy comes in and the deception is to believe that this is isolated to you. You're the only one in this. Nobody understands. You're stuck. Your emotions begin to pull you to withdraw into yourself when this happens. Let me ask you a question. Do you feel alone when you hurt and are in pain like nobody understands? This is the pain of the unloved. The love-pain fear cycle. I'm loving, but I'm getting rejected or they don't receive my love. That's the pain that you feel in the fear cycle. I was reading a book called Church Hurt and I want to share with you what he said about this. This is a quote. When we are in pain, we have too many voices playing in our heads. Voices from the past, voices of our critics, voices of our admirers, and even the voice of our own inner dialogue. There are likely some other voices from demons we've known and loved. Suffice it to say, A riot is taking place in our souls when we hurt. All of this tends to make us distracted at best and crazy at worst. We need someone to cut in harshly and silence the storm. And that's what he said. In other words, we need someone to say that we've not lost love. That our love is still valuable and that we are valuable. Did you know that our emotions have a specific purpose? That God gave them to us for certain reasons and we don't always use them for those reasons? Last Sunday, which Diane mentioned in that church, anger, pain, took lives. That was the wrong use of those emotions. Anger is to motivate you to help make changes. When you see an injustice, you don't get mad about it and get posted on Facebook. You go to right wrongs. You begin to put things in place to change things. Anger is to motivate you to do something about it. When Jesus had righteous indignation at the temple, He didn't all of a sudden start sinning. He did something about it. He took action that was righteous. That served the purposes of God. All of our emotions, whether it's the feelings of loneliness or confusion or glad or or grief or happy, anxiety, all those things have a specific purpose, including fear. Fear's purpose is to warn us of danger. Its purpose is not to say, shut down, there's danger. Its purpose is to say, You need to be aware of what's going on around you so that you can act in your environment to see what's going on. What is the danger? And then begin to make changes in your environment so the fear can go away. 
But we don't always do that. We don't know the purpose of fear or anger or loneliness or confusion. One of the most painful feelings is confusion. Not knowing what to do, when to do, how to do, why to do, so I do nothing. Because it's very confusing. (laughs) So if you don't understand the purpose of your emotions, you may very well be misdirected in what you do when you feel them. The fear of intimacy in that pain cycle is the fear of rejection and the fear of being unloved. When this cycle gets going, our emotions get tangled up. And we'll say a lot of different things from tangled emotions. Here's a few different types of things you might think inside. Here's the first one. I want to love, but I'm afraid to. And I can't because I don't want to risk getting hurt again. That's from that fear, pain, love cycle. Or maybe you've thought this. I want to serve in my church, but I've been burnt when I tried in the past. Now I'm afraid to volunteer at the church because I have a hard time trusting it will love me, want me, or accept me. Do you love me, church? If I serve, will you tell me I'm not serving right? Will you accept how I serve? If not, pain comes. Maybe you're the kind of person who needs connection with others. And maybe this is your thought. I want to hug others when we greet one another and tell them I love them, but they might think I'm too needy. Therefore, I'm going to keep to myself and just sit here desperate for connection. Anybody feel that way? It's because our emotions are tangled. We can't love right. We shut it down. We close the door to it for the most part. Each of those statements that I shared with you come from a desire to show love and for it to be received by somebody else in ways that aren't painful to us. The truth is our hearts want and need love and need to be able to express love. But when we get hurt, our tendency is to pull back rather than to love freely. So we isolate to avoid the pain. (laughs) It's hard to love when you're the only one there. And you start looking in the mirror and blaming yourself. And you don't like that person either. We want to love, but fear tells us it's not safe. Love be its pain, we think. Not love. So we tell our hearts, no, don't do it. Not safe. Not loving. I tried it. It doesn't work. There's a story in Luke chapter 7 of a woman, a sinner, our Scriptures say. And this is what it says. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and he sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner. I want to share with you the sinner word here means prostitute. An adulteress. When she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood 
at His feet behind Him weeping. She began to wash His feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and she kissed His feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Do you think she's trying to love Jesus? Do you think she's trying to show Him she cares? Society says this is not acceptable for her to touch Him. He's a Messiah. He's a prophet. He's a healer. He's a teacher. That person is not allowed. So don't let her love you is what this man's about to tell Jesus. Reject her love. He could have. Scripture would have said, no unclean thing shall touch me. Be all religious about it. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, this man, if he were really a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who's touching him. For she is a sinner. Nowhere does this man see any redeemable qualities in her. If she were to touch him, he would say, you're unclean. Get behind me. Jesus lets her love Him the only way she knows how. Have you ever been shut down when you're trying to love? It's a very painful event in your life. It can shut you down for years, if not for a lifetime. Because you feel like you don't belong there. That you're not wanted or welcome or needed. And your best efforts, your best love is worthless. And then you equate that with self-value and who you are and say, I must be worthless because my love is worthless. Because they're not loving me back by letting me love them. And so we feel unloved when that happens. Unwanted and uncared for. And the next time the opportunity comes, do you think we're going to jump up and go, here we go, let's do it. Let's throw myself to the dogs. I bet Jesus even said don't throw your pearls before swine because He's doing it a few times. Same kind of thinking. But here she was, still kissing His feet. Oil, very expensive. Pouring it out. Probably how she attracted her customers, clients, with that wonderful smell of the oil. But she's pouring it out. But what we don't know is why she loves Jesus. We don't understand the rest of the story. Why she's come there and He's allowed this woman in His house in the first place. Why is He allowing her to come in? (laughs) You have to ask. She's been there before. He knows what manner of woman it is because He knows what manner of woman it is. 
He's had experience with the man or woman she is. I don't have it on the screen for you, but Jesus basically tells Simon that I entered your house and you did not wash my feet, which a servant would do, but she did. And she wiped them and washed them with tears and hair of her head. And he said, You did not give me a kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, which is the honored thing to do for an honored guest when he's been invited in. This man did not. But she's anointed my feet with a fragrant oil. And he says, Therefore I say to her, and to you, her sins which are many are forgiven for she's loved much. Now it does not mean because she loved Jesus that her sins are forgiven. It's because her sins are forgiven that she loves much. Because she knows that Jesus has loved her beyond her sin. We're working to be a church that loves people beyond their sinful state. To see them beyond the outward appearance of ungodliness and unlovableness. To say, let me join you and love you and help you and walk with you and help you be loved. We're learning that. It takes time to learn that because we're so used to the love, pain, and fear cycle. Because when you love folks who are not used to genuine love, they often take advantage of it. But that's the joy of love, is they'll always receive more. (laughs) So if you're a loving person, you'll never have lack of opportunity. He commends this woman for her faith. How many times do you think this woman would love to have gone to the temple to pray or to have asked someone to pray for her because she's a wretched mess? But they said, no, you're unclean. How risky was it that she would in public place at this man's house begin to touch a man who is ritually clean and make him unclean because of her sin. How risky was that? Let me share with you this. She could not do that unless she believed that Jesus had the possibility of maybe loving her. And maybe this man really does love. That he does receive me as I am. Maybe you don't know that about Jesus, but He loves you as you are. You don't have to wear something, talk something, eat something, act something for Him to love you. Jesus says that He has been where you've been. Criticized. Beaten. Ridiculed. Mocked. Made fun of. Dishonored. Disrespected. Rejected. Lonely. Broken. All those things we feel. In Scripture it says He is touched with the feelings of our infirmities or our weaknesses because He is in every way 
felt them like we have. And for us to find healing in that pain, fear, love cycle, we need to know that somebody else has been there or will join us in it. You see, the pain inside of us cries out for somebody to say, Me too. Me too. To do that, though, you have to share your hurt and your fear of loving again to turn the cycle off and upside down. Last Sunday, I talked about some church hurt and I mentioned I withdrew in response to the pain. And that's kind of my mode of operation. If I hurt, I back off. It's not unusual. But I was reading this church hurt book and in the beginning, he talked about how he had started a church and it grew to a thousand or two people within ten years. And then all of a sudden, some rumors started and stuff that wasn't true and they kicked him out of the church he started and loved. Devastated him. And he was angry and hurt and bitter. When I read that, it sounded a lot like what I'd been through and it resonated somewhere inside of me. I didn't feel so alone all of a sudden. Someone else has been there. It's not unique to me. They understand. I'm not crazy for feeling this way. It's normal to hurt. We all do it. We all get stuck in the pain, fear, love cycle. And then he said, God has used His pain to expand His ministry. (coughs) Amazingly. To make it go deeper and to reach further than it ever could have if he stayed in that church. And then I saw, well, maybe God could use my pain like that. Maybe He could. Then I became thankful that someone else shared their story. And that my pain might have purpose. You see, what I didn't understand through all that, and what we don't understand when we're in pain and our love feels like it's rejected, The love you express is never rejected. You are still loved by God. Do you understand when you know God loves you and He has this, that you have stability in your love? But if you don't believe that God loves you, that you matter to Him, that He has you and He will bring you through to wherever He desires you to bring you through if you'll let Him lead you. If you don't know that God loves you no matter how you've done or how you've been or what you've done, sin-wise or not, that, that place means you don't think God can love you. But if you know you are loved and no matter what anybody says, no matter what this world does or the enemy might try to do to you, God's love will be present and you are still loved. They can't take it away. The enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But there's one thing that's necessary which Mary found at the feet of Jesus and that's that Jesus loves her. And Jesus says this one thing cannot be taken away from her by nobody. I love you says the Lord. 
Not death, not principalities, not powers, not demons, not hell, not things to come, not things past, not things in your mind or in your past or your future can ever separate you from the love of God in Jesus Christ. Nothing can take it away. You are loved. You can risk being loved because you already are. You're not going to lose love. People may reject it, but you are not rejected. You are accepted. But we give people so much weight. And we connect the church to God rather than God to God. But we're in a sinful world with sinful people who do mean things. People who can change the world can also destroy lives privately. It's the facts. And once we begin to see that we're loved regardless by God, whether our love is received by somebody else or not, isn't so much as important as knowing that God is love, and I am loved, and I can love you with whether or not you love me back. <laughs> oh, that doesn't make sense, preacher. Why should I love someone who doesn't love me back? That hurts. It only hurts if you expect it. When Jesus died on the cross, He did not expect people to love Him there. And they didn't. His mother and John the Apostle were the only ones there that loved Him. Everybody else spat on Him, mocked Him, stripped His clothes off of Him, beat Him, and walked away. That wasn't loving to Jesus, was it? (laughs) No. But He loved them still. Because He was loved by His heavenly Father. He was secure in that. And He said, I can love you because my love is not for you or from you. It's from God to Him and you enjoy the benefits of it. So how do you get there? Put it all out there like that? Make it a little bit raw? I'll tell you three things. The first thing is forgiveness. You might say, but it's hard to forgive people. It's hard to forgive yourself. But to say, I'm going to love because God loves me. I'm afraid to love, but God loves me and therefore I'm not risking love and losing love because I already have it. I'm loved perfectly. Whether or not you love me back, I'm still loved perfectly. And whether or not you love me back isn't my responsibility. And it's not my fault. And it's not my issue. My issue is whether or not I love you. And if I don't love you, that's on me. And if you don't love someone, that's on you. But them loving you back is on them. Because you can't control whether or not somebody loves you. That's the first thing you can do is forgiveness. Forgive yourself. Forgive yourself for your expectations that others had to create your safe place for love. They don't. There's a lot of places we're going to love that aren't safe. I promise you're going to get hurt in love. But you're not going to get destroyed. Because God loves you. Second thing is talk about painful events with someone who relates to them. Someone who's been there. Or been there similar. 
That really helps because then you have someone who's an understanding heart, an understanding soul. And then pray with that person. Once you do that, those three things, it releases this steam valve on this built up pressure inside. It says, I can't, I can't, I can't. You let it go and you go, I can. I can love again. I'm no longer mad at that person. I can love them. I'm no longer bitter toward them. All I got is love in my heart. And God in my heart, I don't have the bitterness which comes from the enemy anymore. Or the unforgiveness which comes from the enemy. All I got is love in my heart. And that's all I want to do is love. God created us to love. It says in Scripture, He created us in His image. His image is love. We can leave the cycle of pain, fear, and love when we say, I love because I am loved. Not to get it. Not to be accepted. Not to be needed. But because I'm already loved. And you need it too. So I'm going to love you whether you know you need it or not and whether you love me back. And we can say I love with purpose. I know why I love. Because we need it. You need it. We all need it. And I love you regardless if you love me. I love through my fear. Because my fear is not a part of love. So I'll feel the fear until my love and my loving actions shut down that noisy part of the brain that says it's not safe. I love because my heart craves it. I love because it sets my soul free. I love to honor God. I love because God is love. I love because He first loved me. I love because I am loved. There's freedom in that. And I wrote this down for you, what I just shared with you. I call it, I love. I have it on the screen for you. If you'd like to take it home with you, I've made copies. But I'd like for us to say it together as a close to this message. Let us say this together. I love because I am loved. I love with purpose. I love you regardless if you love me. I love through my fear. I love because my heart craves it. I love because it sets my soul free. I love to honor God. I love because God is love. I love because He first loved me. I love because I am loved. Amen. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, the Apostle Paul was by no means complaining when he was losing one who cared for him because he was loving the church at Philippi in the same way that Paul was receiving love from Timothy. He was sending it to a whole group of people to be loved the same way. So he wasn't complaining. He just knew it would be a time of trial and a little bit lonely, but not a time where you would not meet him there. So Heavenly Father, thank you for Paul's example. Thank you for the example of the woman with the tears and the oil kissing and loving on Jesus. Help us to love, to know we are loved regardless by you. And that will never change, ever. That we can love freely without fear. 
Because your perfect love has said you no longer have to fear whether you're loved or whether your love is received. Because in all senses of the word, love is. And it endures forever. Thus says your word to us, Heavenly Father, and thank you for it. Amen. Thank you in the name of Jesus for loving us. Amen.